Where is Pancake's house? What? We stop at Pancake's house. Thanks for checking out this extremely late edition of Pancake's House, Episode 5. Mr. House's hard drive crashed. So, let's start with some word association. I'll say something, and then you say whatever pops into your head first. Okay? Are you ready? Jar Jar Binks. Okay, so I'm thinking that you either had obnoxious or annoying. Well, what if I said Master Sith Lord? You'd be like, what? Are you crazy? Well, I'll tell you. The Phantom Menace introduced all of us to the character of Jar Jar Binks. He was branded a marketing ploy to sell more toys and subsequently written out of most of the following two films. This rewrite, and it was a rewrite, came from backlash of fans who proclaimed that Jar Jar was a franchise-ruining character. Imagine if people had said the same about Yoda. He could have been easily branded as a cheap, cute marketing gimmick as well. So, what does the Phantom Menace actually mean anyway? Who's the Phantom? Who's the Ghost? It's not Darth Maul, that's for sure. He was all over the marketing material for the film. There was no way Darth Maul is a phantom. Was it supposed to be Anakin? I mean, AKA young Darth Vader? No fucking way. We know who he becomes. He's not a phantom menace. He's a known menace. So where does that leave us? How many options do we have left? Well, one of those options is Jar Jar Binks. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but he seems to fit the criteria Nobody would ever expect Jar Jar to end up in a seat on the Senate close to all of those in power of the entire galaxy. But how? Why? If that's the case, why was he written out of the rest of the films? Unfortunately, the answer is really fan service. It's beyond unfortunate, since Jar Jar was actually supposed to be the mirror Yoda for young Anakin, Darth Vader. Let's take a look at all the proof that we have to back up this claim. When we first meet Jar Jar, he's flustered and he's forced on the run. When the situation finally does calm down, we see Jar Jar kip up, which is an extremely advanced martial arts maneuver requiring a ton of strength and skill. It completely conflicts with the narrative that we're delivered about Jar Jar. We're meant to believe that Double J is some kind of inept moron who can barely manage one foot in front of the other as he walks. Now if that's so, why is he kipping up from a supine position in the same way that a martial artist might? Also, what exactly did Jar Jar do that had him banished from his homeland? We never find out exactly what that was, but it really does seem that Jar Jar was up to some extremely shady shit before he ran into the Jedi. If you're following along at home, Check out the 13 minute mark, where Jar Jar Binks leaps about 20 feet in the air and performs a perfect twisting dive into a lake. So you're trying to tell me now that a clumsy dolt can not only kip up, but perform amazing feats of acrobatics as well? Again, we're only 13 minutes into this film and already the audience is being shown clues of Jar Jar's deception. Once everyone arrives in Jar Jar's hometown, his own people even cuff him, while they leave Obi-Wan and Qui-Gong uncuffed. 
Which kind of implies that Jar Jar is actually a greater threat to them than the Jedi. They're even more than happy to rebanish him when he leaves. So, that was around the 14 minute mark. Now, let's fast forward to about the 22 minute mark, and we find the Jedi and Jar Jar hiding as droids approach. At exactly 2243, watch Qui Gong and Obi Wan descend from the balcony they were on while Jar Jar pretends to goof up his jump. It's a quick cut, and you might not notice it, but Jar Jar twists and hangs onto the balcony while Obi and Qui Gong engage the droid guards. He then seemingly executes an off camera force jump to avoid the attack altogether and land unscathed. Was this on purpose? I have to assume so. This very same character, just minutes later, is portrayed as an extremely clumsy idiot who steps in a hot pile of completely avoidable Tauntaun shit. Check out the timestamp at 4432. Look at Jar Jar's mouth as the line, well, I don't approve, is delivered. Jar Jar's mouth, 100% makes the same exact motions. It's absolutely apparent in the oove of approve. Look at his lips! He's using the force! Why would a CGI engineer choose to animate his mouth in that fashion? This is obviously artistic direction to further a more sinister narrative. Next up for the grand illusion, Jar Jar gets his arm stuck in a pod racer. A character who can kip up and avoid blaster rounds, perform 20 foot high twisting dives, and seemingly control people's minds. Oops. I got stuck. Look at just how much time and money is dedicated to Jar Jar in this movie. He is featured in a ton of scenes. Now, don't forget, this film was released in 1999. CGI costs a fortune now. Can you imagine back then? Why would you spend millions of dollars in CGI for Jar Jar Binks and dedicate the majority of the film to him if he's just not that important? Jar Jar even suggests that the Queen is, quote, pretty hot to young Anakin, planting that seed of lust. There's also plenty of cutaways to Jar Jar for no other reason than simply to alert you of his presence. I mean, think about this on a screenplay level. That shot was inserted for a reason. In that screenplay, it said cut to Jar Jar. The writer wanted us to be reminded of Jar Jar's presence during these certain vital scenes. Jar Jar is later credited with bringing the two sides together and he's promoted to general. Fast forward now to 1 hour 53.30, when Jar Jar uses a wrecked droid to take out two others perfectly. Two for two. Two shots. Now, we're two hours into this movie. Who the fuck is the Phantom Menace? Jar Jar is given a Booma, which he accidentally fumbles, and oh, you know what? Takes out a droid. Check out Jar Jar, quote, sloshing, which implies a training in drunken boxing. Here's a clip from the film, and here's actual implementations of drunken boxing techniques. There's no way anybody can say that Jar Jar wasn't a very, very extremely skilled user of the Force. Now towards the end, observe Jar Jar's positioning at Qui Gong's funeral. Look who's in that shot. It's the Queen, Anakin, R2-D2, and Jar Jar 
Jar Jar found himself in a ridiculous position of power, and that was the entire plan from the start. From this moment on, Jar Jar has a super high seat on the Senate. That's no mistake. Jar Jar has been positioning himself there for the entire film. It was part of a master plan. Guess what? Jar Jar Binks is the Phantom Menace. Or at least he would have been. If not for the consuming public acting as artistic director over an entire rebooted franchise. I have to blame the public. I say they're at fault here for not seeing the depth and importance of Jar Jar Binks and in turn, totally and completely altered the course of Star Wars. That's the internet for you. A few haters and George Lucas himself rewrites the entire trilogy despite his own genuine vision. So what happens? The film debuts and Jar Jar is branded as basically a cheap nothing character invented for no other purpose than to sell toys and Happy Meals when clearly, clearly, none of that's true. Binks was supposed to be the Yoda for Anakin. Binks is so obviously the Phantom Menace, or at least he was supposed to be, until crying and complaining Star Wars fanboys didn't like him and George Lucas caved into fan service instead of following his original vision. And for that, Lucas loses all respect from me. You are a crazy ass son of a bitch. You are a no good bastard. You are full of bullshit. You can pucker up and kiss my ass goodbye. Ja-ja Bates. Ja-ja Bates. Ja-ja Bates. Ja-ja Bates. You are a crazy jackass. You are a stupid asshole. You are an evil asshole. You are a stupid low-life fool. Ja-ja Banks, Ja-ja Banks, Ja-ja Banks, Ja-ja Banks. So I've seen some debate recently as to whether or not Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie. You can debate all you want because it is. I'm not even really sure how this is a question. I mean, You'd never argue that Home Alone isn't a Christmas movie, but that's a film about neglectful parents who forget their son at home while he's victim of a home invasion. John McClane just happens to be at a corporate Christmas party when some terrorists break in and hold everybody hostage. John McClane and Kevin McAllister are actually pretty similar characters now that I really start to think about it. They're both technically forgotten about, both involved in holiday airline travel, they both set up traps to weaken their enemies. They both even have a western-sounding smart-ass catchphrase. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. And... Keep the change, you filthy animal. They both even have to deal with the bad guys impersonating the good guys. And at the end, the bad guys lose and they both get their families back, which they both weren't sure they even wanted. Now sure, it wasn't the good guy in Home Alone who cuts his feet up with glass, but I mean, wasn't that the same exact trap set for both characters? Shoot the glass. I mean, that's the same as the broken Christmas tree ornaments on the floor. So Home Alone is a Christmas movie and Die Hard isn't? Well, why not? I guess because, all right, Die Hard takes place in LA, so there's no snow. 
It's kind of hard to feel like Christmas when you're running around barefoot in a wife beater. Unless you're from Florida. Now, I found this article from a website called The Fix that states that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie because... Number one. It could be set on literally any other day of the year and be the same movie. Okay, great. Well, we're already talking about Home Alone, so let's just take it from there. So you're going to tell me now that Home Alone could have only have taken place on Christmas. That's the only time that the family could have ever gone on vacation. It could have easily been any summer vacation, any family death, a grandma died or whatever, and Kevin McAllister gets Home Alone. It has nothing to do with Christmas. From the same article, number two. Automatic weapons and handguns have no place in Christmas movies. Okay. Well, when Kevin McAllister is watching Angels with Dirty Souls, the keep the change, you filthy animal guy, unloads an entire drum of Tommy gun rounds into his rival. So I guess Home Alone's not a Christmas movie, guys. Sorry. Can't watch it. Again, from the same article. Number nine, its most iconic line has nothing to do with Christmas. And this is a quote from the article. Unlike Home Alone, which did it right, with Merry Christmas, you filthy animal, Die Hard's yippee ki motherfucker is an ode to Westerns, not Christmas. Now, I'm sorry, but didn't the guy get fucked in the face with an iron in Home Alone? Didn't that same guy take a four-inch nail into the foot? This logic is just not adding up. Die Hard has every single right to be a Christmas movie. Who hasn't dealt with the frustration of holiday travel? Going to a holiday party that you'd really just not rather be at? Could Die Hard take place at any other time? Sure, I suppose, but it's the holiday pretext that gives John his charm. John McClane wants Holly back, he wants his family back, and he takes his Christmas breaks to do so. It's no secret he wants her back, he immediately hates himself for acting like a complete asshole and arguing with Holly while he's changing. Christmas of 1988 is how John McClane is going to reconnect with his family. What better time for something like that? How dare anybody say that Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie? Just because what, there isn't a tense dinner table scene? So now I have to ask, what does make a Christmas film? What are the prerequisites needed? I mean, I would definitely call Bill Murray's Scrooged a Christmas movie, and that has a shotgun in it, so firearms cannot declassify a Christmas movie. I mean, come on, one of the main plot devices of a Christmas story is a fucking gun! Don't even try to tell me that a Christmas story isn't a Christmas movie. Fuck you, I've been to that house, it's in Cleveland, and you can pay $5 to park on the Bumpus' front lawn. Is it redemption? Does a character need to go on a self-reflection mission to come out as a better person on the other side? I mean, that's like every movie. That's not really specifically tied to Christmas. I'm pretty sure that National Lampoon's Christmas is a Christmas movie. Am I supposed to say that a Christmas movie can't make fun of dementia? We can't set old men on fire in a Christmas movie? A separate article that I found says that a Christmas movie has to be released around Christmas. It says that Die Hard doesn't qualify because it was released in July. Well, 
If that's the case, let's go ahead and remove Dennis Leary's The Ref, Trading Places, and, oh, Miracle on 34th Street, which was released in July, just like Die Hard. It seems like the majority of people who say that Die Hard isn't a holiday film seem to say so because of its violence and gratuitous use of weapons. I mean, the way I see it, with all the violence, greed, and death religion brings with it, Die Hard is actually a perfect Christmas movie. Hans Gruber is the church looking to steal your money, and John McClane is like Jesus, but I guess instead of a crown of thorns, he wears shoes of glass. Two bros just fighting for what's right, not profitable, and willing to die very, very hard to do so. You're gonna tell me Jesus didn't die hard? Dude died so hard he came back to life. If Jesus is Christmas, so is John McClane. Thanks for checking out this fifth episode of Pancakes House. The show can be heard on iTunes, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Stitcher, and much more. Be sure to check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pancakeshouse and check out the brand new Pancakes House shop at pancakeshouse.bigcartel.com. 